on a simpler level, there's there's other things that I just read from time to time or experience while watching a film, uh, you know, quotes that maybe jump out to me. Kiristami, I was watching, I was rewatching Certified Copy, again, totally different than, than the kind of pop culture work. Kiristami's Certified Copy, and there's a quote in there where she says something like, after we've seen so many copies of something over so many years, we're not experts who can stand before something that's original and, and understand it. And it takes our breath away. And and the point that she says, like, is like, without the, without the existence of copies, we wouldn't understand the originals because the existence of copies gives us a different kind of respect and knowledge about the original. And so a quote like that just jumps out to me as like, whoa, that's so close to these ideas that I'm thinking about, about remixing and reinterpreting the things that I love as a way of better understanding the original. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 222nd episode, Scott Eigner joins me to talk all about his work, which explores nostalgia through a variety of media and processes. We break all of that down. And again, it's really interesting because he works with something that's very universal, nostalgia through pop culture movies, and he distills those into sometimes art objects and sometimes their performances. A lot of them are process-based, and he's truly interdisciplinary. There's video work, there are uh, projected light works, and if you want to find out more, go visit scotteigner.com and check some of them out before the interview. He's currently part of a two-person exhibition at Pierce College Fine Arts Gallery entitled Nostalgialicious with Mike Hall. Unfortunately, that exhibition has been temporarily closed, as you know, so we want to announce it as soon as that exhibition gets extended. So stay tuned to Studio Break to find out when you can see that or check out his Instagram page. I do want to remind listeners that there are plenty of interviews up on studiobreak.com, so go there and check them out. Again, each of our posts have images of the artist's artwork, links to their websites, and you can, of course, listen to the podcast right there on studiobreak.com or just follow one of those hyperlinks on the left side of the homepage. Again, you can find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and, of course, on Google Play, so be sure and check us out there. Hit that subscribe button, too, so that you always know when a new episode comes out. If you're interested in more Studio Break, be sure to check us out on Facebook and like our page there. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break and on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And with those announcements out of the way, here's our interview with Scott Eigner. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Scott Eigner, how are you this morning? I'm great. How about yourself? Excellent, excellent. I'm coffeeed up and ready to talk about your work. Again, we've been talking a little bit about the science fiction aspect of it um, and, you know, the possibility of time travel coming up because we're in different time zones. And, yeah, you know, again, I'm really interested in the process, you know, and the performance aspect of your work. There's so many different, you know, ways that you make work. So it'll be cool to, to kind of break that down. And as I kind of just was talking to you about, I, I have a theory that either you grew up uh, without movies or... You know, you got lost the first weekend at college and somebody dragged you into a, a Back to the Future party or something. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would probably be a, a more fascinating story if, if that were true. <laughs> really, I've just always been obsessed with movies. I can I can pretty easily think back to some of my earliest experiences with 
with film and pop culture and film has always been present for me. Was that something that was kind of more present, you know, to start with in terms of like an artistic practice where you kind of like making, you know, videos and taking photographs of like pausing VHS tapes and maybe I'm going back in time too much, huh? <laughs> uh, taking photographs of stills of, of things like that. Not so much working with film specifically, I mean, my background's trained as as in painting and drawing is is sort of my my traditional background. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been interested in the pop culture references, but not not really specifically film. That emerged a little bit a little bit later on, still in my education, but but the la- the later half of it for sure. Yeah, well, and I'm thinking literally like when you're like six, you know, like um, <laughs> you know, j- definitely definitely not something <laughs> I I would have been doing that young. However, I do remember that many of my sort of craft art and craft supplies that I would play with when I was that age did contain pop pop culture references. I remember specifically I had a set of Punky Brewster stamps that I was <laughs> very frequently using in those early days. Right on. Were you kind of interested in, you know, drawing science fiction type things or or making, you know, things like that when you were younger? Again, I I know that everybody's background and experience kind of shakes out differently, so I'm always kind of curious at like you know, a young age, if you're like building models or, you know, what it is that you're doing art wise. Yeah. I mean, I think in terms of, of art, it was heavily craft based. Mm-hmm. We had a craft cabinet uh, growing up and I had access to, you know, any craft crafting kinds of supplies that I wanted. So subject matter, you know, yeah, I'm sure I was drawing lots of robots and dragons and spaceships. Yeah. Spaceships, <laughs> aliens along those lines for sure. But I don't know that there were any specific references, uh, but definitely along those lines. And was that something then that you were kind of like motivated to kind of keep working through? Were you interested? Like, again, everybody like goes through like a maybe not everybody goes through this phase. Some people actually become graphic designers. But, you know, there's that whole like I'm going to be an, you know, a graphic designer in high school or something like that. Or, or did you kind of know that you wanted to do art even then? Or did that come um, kind of later? No, no, I I did not know that I wanted to be an artist that young. Um, that's probably one of the bigger shifts that's taken place. I, I always had a love of it. I always had a love of, of doing those kinds of things. I remember specifically like weekends, uh, very frequently I had craft books and I would just, you know, pick out a project that it was something I wanted to make on the weekend. And so I've, I've always had that, but I, it, I never knew that that was something that would in, uh, eventually become sort of what it is. I had, I had aspirations when I was young to be uh, you know, for a while, it was like, I want to be a marine biologist. So what happened in the marine biology thing? Did you uh, make it like the class and you're like, forget dolphins. I don't care about <laughs> dolphins. What was what was or maybe you saw Free Willy or something. I don't know. I, I never even made it to the point of actually <laughs> studying marine biology. That was just sort of those early child aspirations. So that never pursued. Although although I could potentially see that maybe my interest in that was because of things like Jaws or Free Willy. I could see maybe there there would be a connection there at least. Well, there was Sequest too, I believe. I don't know if you ever yeah. saw that show with the, the dolphin that could talk. Absolutely. I think it's Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, was it like was it an art class that kind of brought you to art or how did you wind up uh, finding your way there? I did not have art uh, in high school. We had band, we had theater, and I did anything art-related that I could possibly do. So I was active in the theater, active participating in the band and the choir. Uh, anything that was art, arts-related, I was automatically going to gravitate towards because it was stuff I was interested in. So even as far as like 
you know, history class in high school, anytime we were offered the opportunity to do a project or build something instead of writing a report, it was without a doubt, that's the choice I was going to take. When I, when I started undergrad, uh, my original plan in undergrad was to pursue journalism, visual communication, like communication studies kinds of things. And so I was, I was in loosely in a program designed for that kind of stuff for about a year. My, my now wife, who I was dating at the time, was in an architecture school uh, in Chicago, Illinois Institute of Technology. And I saw that some of her homework was to produce drawings and paintings. And I was like, wait a second. <laughs> like, this is something we can, we can actually do. Like, this is a viable method of education. I didn't, like, I had no concept that that was something you could study and something you could pursue and that there was more to learn about it. And so just that realization that there was, there was a reason to go do that stuff automatically. I was like, okay, well, that's, that's the end of all of that. I'm clearly going to be an art major because it's going to be way more fun and way more interesting than anything I was doing. Absolutely. Um, and you kind of alluded to this, but one thing that I did fail to ask, you grew up in the Midwest then? Yeah, I grew up uh, south suburbs of Chicago, a small, small town called Crete, Illinois. Okay. And yeah, that's just, uh, I think that has a lot to do with, with my work as well, uh, for sure. That, that sort of, I feel like there's a lot of this Midwestern mentality surrounding things like pop culture. We have a different, a very different viewpoint and attachment to these things from what I've discovered than somebody who might be living, you know, on the West coast or something like that. Well, we're a lot more like Marty McFly, I think, you know, exactly. He was dreaming of big things and it's, sorry, there's gonna be lots of movie references for anybody, but not unlike <laughs> the movie last starfighter, you know, with Alex. Yeah, Rogan, totally. Which I think is actually supposed to come back. I, I heard that with the new space force coming, we're going to we're going to be sending those uh arcade games out to trailer parks throughout the United States to find <laughs> pilots so uh, well, that's probably a good idea that's a, that, we're the best ones so no air force people so anyways um well again that's kind of interesting so obviously we're seeing some excitement you know in terms of potential um so you kind of jumped into those art classes open arms and yeah what was what was the first thing that kind of uh you know really drew you in uh Hopefully no pun intended if you're like drawing, but you know. I started off at Northern Illinois University doing a lot of painting and drawing. I had a printmaking class there that was extraordinary, taught by a, a graduate assistant, one of my favorite classes in those sort of early days. But one of the things I struggled with at, at Northern Illinois University was the idea that I had to pick something. Um, they really wanted you to get on a path of being a painter, being a sculptor, whatever that might have been. And, and I, I didn't know. I, I, I didn't have the experience with art to really be able to make that commitment. And so I needed I needed an opportunity to explore more um, and see more and just learn about the things that I had no idea existed. And, and printmaking was part of the reason for that. I was like, my first printmaking class was extraordinary and I had never done printmaking before. And so it was like, if, the, if this is so cool, and I've never done this, I'm potentially missing out on all of these other interesting experiences. So I actually transferred then to Eastern Illinois University down in Charleston. And I liked that their program was sort of a, a two-dimensional or a three-dimensional emphasis. Um, you still had to take courses in the other field. But it, I knew that that was going to allow me to explore 
things like photography and printmaking and drawing and painting and uh, just sort of all these things simultaneously. And then also still experimenting a little bit with sculpture and ceramics and these, these three-dimensional fields just to see if maybe that was something that I would gravitate towards. So, so did you wind up taking more printmaking then as well? Because the process-oriented nature of it seems like it would you know, really be appealing given that you explore processes so much in, in your current work. Yeah, I didn't. I, I mean, I did take a little bit more, but it was not something I stuck with. I think, and I, and I think the reason I took more is because I, I mean, I think you're absolutely correct, and your your ability to identify that is is extraordinary. But I think you're absolutely correct in that it, what I was attracted to about it was the process. I was doing these extremely detailed and and long, painstaking kinds of prints that were basically like I was carving out little, probably less than a quarter inch by quarter inch square pixels lino cuts, really, really tedious kinds of works. But I really liked the process. It was, uh, people would say like, you're crazy for doing these kinds of things. It's taking you too long. But I really enjoyed sitting there and and getting into that. So I I didn't pursue it as as a means of creating. I really sort of stuck with uh, the painting and drawing. But I did do more of it, and it was the process really that attracted me to it, for sure. What did your paintings and drawings look like? Were you kind of interested in any particular subjects? or In those, in those undergrad classes, I did start to gravitate towards my childhood interests. So I started wanting to incorporate, at first it was just kind of loose pop, cultural, pop culture imagery. I wanted things to feel new and feel you know, bright and colorful and cartoony and, uh, you know, just kind of all those references that, that gave it that look to me. So I was sometimes referencing things like video games. Other times it was referencing films, sometimes even experimenting with branding and, you know, pop culture sort of consumerism aspects. It was there. It was all there in that, in that undergrad stuff. Obviously I had not made any kind of clear decision about what my work was about content concept wise other than that's what I knew my interest was. Things things shifted pretty dramatically then into my first graduate program. Uh, and that's where I really started to develop some of those ideas a little bit more, which I think, you know, that's completely natural. That's the point of, of doing something like that. Sure, sure. So I stayed at, at Eastern Illinois University after undergrad for their one-year uh, Master of Arts program, uh, which gave us a studio, allowed us to focus it was something that I felt I needed before I could apply to an MFA program. I, my work wasn't quite there. Um, I didn't really have a very conceptual or solid body of work. And that was an amazing program, worked worked with the faculty there. That was one of my favorite education experiences. And I was still doing, I was doing like cut paper installations, sculptural, still bringing in drawing and painting elements occasionally. But again, it was really process oriented, these extremely detailed cut paper things, cutting out little square pixels, cutting out giant, giant forms that then I would sort of install into the corners of rooms. And I really enjoyed sort of locking myself in my studio and working for 10 hours, 12 hours on these, these detailed things and not really noticing that time was passing. One of the biggest realizations that happened during that process was the realization of how I was treating the studio practice. And I had found that one of the things that I did to kind of allow me to make that work is I would go into my studio and I would put my headphones on and I'd, I'd pop in a DVD and I would always pick films that I'd seen a hundred times and just kind of let them play as I was working on these really tedious works. 
And that kind of allowed me to enter that zone, enter that mental space of just being able to work and being able to put the time needed into those. And as I started to realize that, as as that year went on, that's when I started to make that conscious shift to, oh, there's something more here. There's something more to this idea of what's fueling the drive behind these. And in the work itself, it wasn't quite as present. I, I don't know that somebody would be able to look at that work and say, oh, these are pop culture based. They're referencing comic books or video games or films. They were still, you know, really formal. All my painting and drawing training was coming into play, but the references weren't there. And that, that realization that the films were fueling that is kind of what led me to think like, well, maybe that's what I want to focus on then subject wise. Maybe I really want to bring some of that element into the work. Well, it's interesting to think about too, because I think a lot of people can relate to that experience. I know certainly I will throw on movies that I've seen hundreds of times while I'm working. Um, Sometimes just even listen to them. It's weird because you start touching little audio components that are different or dialogue or it just kind of changes the nature of it. But obviously, you know, to kind of take it and then utilize it for your work is kind of a different, different animal altogether. I'm curious, especially like when you start thinking about, and I'm assuming this started, you know, like you're saying around then, was it something then where you started visually getting something in your head as to what it could be? Or, I mean, are you writing things down in like a, a notebook or like a sketchbook to kind of think about what you could play around with? Where did the process and exploration of, you know, performance and all these other things start tying in together? Um, I could have jumped the, the boat on that one, but. <laughs> a little a, a little bit, but I think the connection's there. You know, from there, I went to my my MFA program at Ohio State University. And I was there a little bit early. I kind of moved there in the summer and got into my studio and started, you know, doing some thinking and writing before the the academic year had even started. And I, I realized right away that the work that I got into that program with um, was not what my work was going to be. That it was it was already in that shift between those two programs. It was already changing. It was already becoming something and and quite different. I mean, radically different. And so I really just, I was, I was doing writing, I was doing thinking, I was starting to read more of, you know, sort of theory books about film and just starting to learn the the sort of deeper side of that film appreciation and really just thinking like, okay, this has, this has to happen. I'm not sure how yet. I don't know what it's going to look like yet, but I, I know I want those references. I know I want to be dealing with my feelings and my background and my appreciation and the nostalgia for the love of these things. And so I just had to start to figure out how did that look? What, what was that going to be? If, if we're going to dive into to pieces specifically, there was a, an early series of work that I did where I was creating these sort of layered images from films. And, and the excuse to do that was that I got to watch films. I got to sit in my studio and carefully, I mean, we're talking frame by frame, I would sort of load them up and, you know, pull them into an editing program and and watch the films frame by frame and then saving saving JPEGs, saving screenshots of every single frame as a, as a beginning point. And I was like, well, that's a, that's a collection of stuff. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but it allowed me to watch films very carefully um, and to start to think about them. So it kind of grew from there. And and just to kind of think about that, is that work on your website? Is this movie combination images or the? Yeah, yeah, that's the movie combination images that are on my website, and and um, I I put a selection of of some of my favorite ones. I did far more than what's there, but film wise, there's selections from Back to the Future and Hook. I think are the ones that are <laughs> primarily featured on my website. Yeah, but they're super interesting because they don't look the way that you would think that they would look. Some of them, again, almost look like they have aspects of them that are identifiable. And then, you know, some kind of 
feel like they're kind of really washed out, but there's a real vibrancy to the color. And again, it's kind of interesting to think about how you go through all of this process to come away, I guess, with some with some kind of product at the end, no? They were turned into physical product. I, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm exhibiting a couple of them right now in a kind of a show where I'm diving back into some of this older work. Um, but I would print them out. Um, so after I created the images, um, they would they would be printed large scale as digital prints. Um, a process that I was taught by working with some some people that were very knowledgeable uh, about you know doing these kinds of things and and mounting them. So creating actual frames for them, mounting them up, and then layering you know different kinds of sometimes acrylic washes to sort of change the colors a little bit. Sometimes you know clear coating to add texture. And so they're 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 not just meant to exist as as digital pieces. Um, they do become physical products so that they, and I think that was my attraction to painting. So they, I wanted them to still feel physical. I wanted them to still have that presence. That was, that was important for me at that point. And so what are some of the other things that you started playing around with after that? I know, again, maybe something that kind of might be a similar process is the, the movie drawing series, which looks like, again, is that something that you kind of look at then? How am I going to, you know, do something similar, but kind of explore it with a different aesthetic through line? Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, all of those early works were really sort of really just founded in the idea, like, how can I make, how can I make or elevate or change the process of watching a film? And and if, if, if that's something I'm interested in is, you know, watching film as as the subject, what, what can I do to that process to inject the formal property of that. And so, yeah, I was just exploring another way to watch film and create something as a, a byproduct of them. And so I didn't really think of them as 100% drawing, but there's, there's an element of drawing to them. There's also an element of performance to them. Um, I would sort of, you know, put the paper up on my wall, sometimes do them directly on my studio wall, even project the film it plays real time, and as it's playing, I'm just constantly drawing. Whatever moment I can capture in that spontaneity of, of time, um, and then just accumulating those marks of evidence of, of watching the film. And so there is a performance. I mean, they're, you know, they're a two-hour or two-hour and 15-minute or two-and-a-half-hour, however long the film is. That's the length of the performance. I, I didn't quite know that that was, that was entering my work at that point, this, this idea of the process becoming a part of the work, but it's certainly there and certainly something I was, I was unintentionally yet intentionally playing with. And when did you start incorporating like live performances or? That became something that was an important aspect. And this is all just, you know, arriving at these conclusions through conversations with people in the studio and uh, doing my own writing and, you know, trying to talk about the work and, and sometimes people not seeing that element of the work. Mm -hmm being able to discuss them from a, a painterly perspective or a drawing perspective was really easy. But sometimes I would find myself getting frustrated by that. Like, oh, I mean, it's great that we can do that. And I think they do have a lot of those really interesting relationships to that work that I was trained in. But I would sometimes find myself getting frustrated that we weren't talking about Back to the Future. Like, <laughs> why, why, do we, why are we just talking about the lines and the color? I mean, why are we talking about references to you know, Turner in those, in those movie combination images, right? which, which is cool, which is fine. That's, that's my painter background coming through, but I would sometimes find myself like, well, can't we just talk about back to the future? Can't we just talk (laughs) about how awesome back to the future is? Why do we have to, to dwell on those things? And so I just, as time went on, it was like, well, I have to bring that into the work. I have to let people know somehow that 
it's not just the physical product. It's not just the end thing. There is this this obsession and this this really like deep rooted love of the subject matter that's fueling these things. And how do I get people to know that? Performance seemed like an obvious avenue for me. I didn't really know much about performance art. This is still, you know, this is still kind of in grad school. I'm just now starting to to dive into that stuff and research that more. And just realizing that performance seemed a logical connection. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, you know, I've always been a performer. I I did theater. Um, I've always been interested in that. I've always loved that. And so it just made sense to kind of start to bring that more into my practice. One of the things that's interesting is that you know, pop culture allows a really accessible, you know, way in for people to kind of experience the work. Yeah. But then, you know, as opposed to just making something and putting it on a wall, and again, as somebody that does that, I, I enjoy that. But there's obviously a different kind of relationship with then when you can kind of interact with somebody and, you know, take part in their work or have a conversation about it. Is is that something that kind of got explored? Because, again, it looks like you have a, again, like a performance where you're watching something and then inviting people yeah. to sit in sit in a sofa to watch it with you mm-hmm. um, so what was that piece about la dulce vita it's a it was a trilogy of performances and intentionally you know intentionally designed to reference film trilogies which you know some of my favorite films are are part of trilogies and this was the first of that series of performances and this was the uh jurassic park viewing experience i think i call it an active <laughs> viewing of jurassic park so a lot went into sort of thinking about, you know, the conceptual reasons to do something like that. But uh, it, it all boiled down to that same idea, like how can the act of watching a film be elevated to something more important and which then allows us to think about sort of other peripheral things that happen in that act of viewing. I mean, there's obviously like the sense of community, the sense of, um, you know, what that looks like to to sit and sort of actively watch something versus passively watching something. There's also an element of endurance to that piece in particular. I was thinking about the work ethic involved with transforming something into something that warrants more attention. And I was thinking about endurance as a way to do that. If, if, you know, the act of watching a movie doesn't seem super significant or difficult, I can't just, I hesitate maybe even saying this now, but I can't just sit and watch a movie and call it art. Well, I probably can, but I was like, well, it has to be more than that. It has to, and maybe endurance, maybe making it difficult is the way, is the avenue to give it more credibility. Um, And so what that performance essentially was, was that I was going to sit there and watch Jurassic Park endlessly as long as I possibly could until until whatever happened to me allowed me to not watch the film. Um, and so I, I set up the couch, set up the television, set up a camera pointed at the couch, which then was feeding a live sort of closed circuit loop video feed to the other side of the gallery where people could sit on a different couch and watch a projection of that footage of me watching Jurassic Park endlessly and uh, encouraging encouraging people that if they wanted to sit and watch my deteriorating state as time <laughs> went on, they could do that. But they could also come and sit and watch Jurassic Park with me. Um, and that, that's acceptable, too. And that's a part of the work. And it's it's sort of our conversations or our, the things we might notice or the things we might talk about that then become a part of the work, too. So how long did you wind up going uh, in terms of this rewatching it? Um, I would say I actively made it 12 and a half times it was uh, during during that 13th viewing was when i and i don't remember what happened i i just passed out i think and (laughs) you know woke up the next day to an empty gallery there was you know one friend still sitting in the gallery in a lawn chair 
And that was that was it. That's when I just turned everything off and went home. Is that something that that has made it into a record? I'm curious if there is a record for something like that. You know, how many times you can watch something? Yeah, there there are records for for watching television, playing video games, doing all that kind of stuff. To my knowledge, mine does not even come close. <laughs> but I think those people like actively train, so they they actually, you know, they do things in terms of, you know, sleeping for long periods of time beforehand and training themselves to go without food and, and those kinds of things to, to make that happen. I was much more interested in, in the, the spontaneity of that. I didn't do any kind of prep work for it. It was just like, well, when the, when the gallery opens is when it starts and it just goes until it ends. You know, I was, I was teaching at the time too. So it's like, I had a, I had a job. I couldn't just like, you know, fully commit to, you know, spending multiple days preparing for it. I was like, well, I'm just going to show up and, and I'll just start doing it. And when it's done is when it's done. So with regards to that process, is that something where you kind of notice things that are different as you, as you keep rewatching it or are you kind of just blanking out or is it making you think of or have conversations with people as they're interacting with you to kind of, I don't know, see it in a sort of different light or is it just really like a process of endurance of trying to get through it another time? It became that as as time went on, the, the later ones when nobody was around, you know, well after people had left, most people had left the gallery and, and those ones did become more so a task in, can I squeeze another one in? Early on, it was it was much more interesting to to have conversations with people and, and just to notice things that I'd never noticed or thought about before. And oftentimes what I found people wanted to talk about is they wanted to talk about whether or not they liked or disliked the film. They wanted to talk about their first experiences with seeing it or the fact that they had never seen it. Uh, they wanted to talk about, you know, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> so they they always had something that they were all, in most cases, bringing to that conversation. Pretty rare that somebody would just sit and watch with me. Usually they would sit and watch and then then we would start talking about something and we'd, you know, have to sort of engage in that that conversation on on whatever level they were willing to sort of bring that that stuff to the table and I think like maybe those are some of my early experiences even with things like film criticism and and being able to sort of talk through those things and and think about film differently and offer up viewpoints and thoughts that maybe people hadn't previously been aware of or, or thought about is is there another piece or another series uh, if you will from your graduate experience that kind of solidifies I guess more of these ideas or in terms of elevating it to like a, where you wanted it to be versus where it initially started from that same era. I also sort of took on a, an interest in that time to things like fame and celebrity and exploring mm -hmm. those ideas. So I think another, another piece that related to the, the film process was the, the performance piece that I did called uh, Jurassic park experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that was me I, sort of live, what I would do is I would set up some studio lights and sit on a couch and I would tell the entire plot of Jurassic Park as if I were Dr. Alan Grant, Sam Neill's character, and just go through it as if I were there and experience these things. So anything that he's not a part of in the film is obviously left out. It's only from his sort of first person perspective of of what happened to him on on that island. Right. And so and there was no prep work for those either. It was just sort of my knowledge of Jurassic Park is vast enough that I could sit down and I can tell you the plot from his perspective. And it, it's different every time. And it's, you know, sometimes it lasts a half an hour. Sometimes it lasts 50 minutes. It just sort of depends on how much I want to dive into my experiences as Dr. Alan Grant during that time. Um, and it was that was sort of another aspect of that was just sort of 
thinking about this idea of role playing um, and playing characters, which again, tying it back to theater, like this interest or this desire to be somebody else, to be a character. It was all stuff I'd been writing about and thinking about in my studio. Well, and I think that's kind of something that's, you know, universal just because I think everybody kind of wants to be, or maybe imagines themselves in some kind of role or, you know, some type of future where everything is kind of, you know, working out or successful or, you know, we kind of look for ways to do that in so many ways. I, again, I think social media obviously is a, is a one obvious way that we kind of do that. But it's mm-hmm. interesting to think about that, obviously, um, you know, trying to literally take on that identity or that role, I guess, if you will. Yeah, I thought I thought a lot about because I was de- I was making work dealing with fame and celebrity at the same time. I You know, I did this year long performance piece where I walked on red carpet. I was uh, temporarily famous. Um, I would, I would cut out pieces of actual Hollywood red carpet and bolt them to the bottom of my shoes. And I did that for a year. So I would you know, rotate these pieces out. And so, the, you know, that was dealing with these ideas of like, well, how do you know you've made it in Hollywood? Well, a good, a good example of that would be, you know, walking on red carpet, you're at a Hollywood premiere, you're, you're, you're seeing your film for the first time. And so I just wanted to somehow encapsulate that into my practice of like, well, what happens if me, a nobody, does elevate my my regular day-to-day activities, even if it's just mentally, even if it's just for me, this this sort of awareness that I'm walking around on, on red carpet. I was thinking a lot about, you know, what is it about this stuff that I'm really attracted to? And I, I, I had to do a lot of thinking about like, well, is it is it the fame and the celebrity? Is it the the idea of of money or fame? Um, that drives me to these things, or is it the films? Is it is it the passion for that nostalgia of the films? A lot, of, a lot of thinking went into that. A lot of writing went into that, um, and I've explored various aspects of that all throughout the process. But I think the one thing that I connected to the most, and I still find myself thinking about this a lot, is this idea of, in some cases, it wasn't about fame or celebrity, because I, the more I dove back into childhood, I'm like, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. When I watched Back to the Future as a, as a kid, I wasn't aware of like, well, I, I love this because I want to be uh, an actor. I didn't, I didn't know anything about that. I loved it because I wanted to be Marty McFly. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I didn't, there was no other reason other than like, and I tell my students this sometimes, like if Doc Brown shows up at my door <laughs> tomorrow morning and he's like, Scott, we've got to go, we've got to go back to the future. Like I'm out, I'm, I'm peacing out. I will not be here tomorrow. I will not be here to teach you tomorrow. I, I will be traveling through time with Doc Brown, hands down. Like no way I would second guess that. And so I think like for me, it really did become about this idea of why do we love these characters? Why are we drawn to these characters? What about their experiences is something we're so willing to give ourselves over to in that process of, of being obsessed with certain films? Well, and kind of moving on from, I guess, that experience as a, as a graduate student, what, what was, uh, gosh, I'm really self-conscious. I don't get this. I feel like I'm performing here. Um, <laughs> so kind of moving on from your graduate school experience, you know, what, what happened afterwards? I mean, did you immediately land uh, the job that you currently have or what was it like to kind of transition into that and then keep you know, exploring these different performative aspects, these different process aspects. No, I, I moved back to Illinois um, after Ohio State University. Um, I taught adjunct at many colleges in sort of uh, central southern Illinois. Did that for for quite a while. Did that for, I think, five or six years, if I remember correctly. All while trying to, you know, secure that 
goldmine position of a full-time teaching position and making work and just and just sort of you know living living that life of of continuing to teach and continuing to make work my first full-time position was uh, a spontaneous kind of event my wife and i were planning to move we were we were just kind of done with that life of adjuncting and and being there and we were we were packing up our place we didn't know what we were going to do we knew we were going to head out towards the west coast we we had kind of identified like seattle area San Francisco, Bay Area, or LA. We liked them all. We'd been to them. We'd visited them. Uh, we just knew we were going to head that way. And while packing up boxes, I got a call from a university in Colorado. So we moved to Colorado. And the, and the reason I bring that up is because that does connect to a super significant moment in, in this relationship to film. Um, while teaching at the university, I started working with a film festival there, uh, Crested Butte Film Festival. I was a volunteer for the, the for my first time doing it. And just because I, I love film. And I was like, well, I'm definitely going to go to this film festival. It's, you know, 30 minutes away from my house. Why would I not go to that? And I just had such a great time being there and helping out that I was like, I have to meet the director of the film festival, the two directors, husband and wife. And I was like, I have to meet them. I have to I have to, to tell them how, how enjoyable that was and, and just let them know who I am. And so I, I hung around at one of the sort of after parties and just got to chatting with them. And they called me not too long after and just they kind of called me out of the blue and they were like, we want to meet with you. I think there's a place for you in the film festival. There's there's work you can do. And, and we we enjoy your pro- professional, the professional aspect of how you how you worked with us. And we think you've got the organizational ability to do it. Um, and so as as time went on, then what, what eventually the role that I took on there is the the director of screening committee. And so, and then from there, it's like, um, now I'm a part of the, the selections committee and part of the review committee. And, and when we're there, I do Q and A's and talk backs with, with my, f- my friend Jack Hanley. And we sort of do these Q and A's and do these talk backs with the audiences. And so that, that participation in this other level of film has shifted and changed how I've thought about some of these things. I think more about film in academic ways. And I don't mean that I've abandoned pop culture by any means. In fact, my entire exhibition that that's opening right now is based on nostalgia, but I do think about things differently. I think about them in a, in a different sense to not just gravitate towards only the celebrity aspect or only the, the, the love of, you know, fame aspect or only the watching of movies aspect, but that there's something, there's always something more to these. And so now that's something I'm interested in kind of exploring a little bit also is what is that, what are those peripheral relationships to those films that I'm watching and what are the other things happening um, in terms of research that I can do that relate to those subjects, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I'm curious, especially too, are there any influences in terms of either artists or even writers maybe that also kind of might kind of give us a little bit of a different impression or of, of some of the things that you're thinking about as well? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a couple of references. I don't know that I'm thinking about them in, in very traditional ways, but I think there are some things that have popped up in my, my research, either, either things by other artists or things by other filmmakers. One thing that I find myself gravitating towards frequently, um, and I've talked about this a, a couple times with my my students and other people, um, is I read some things from Mark Dion. I really like Mark Dion's work. Again, you might not even be able to <laughs> see that. I think some people are like, well, why? Um, what about Mark Dion's work is so interesting to you? What I really like about Mark Dion's work is the way he the way he processes information. Um, so it's not that there's a visual connection, right? And he makes these kind of you know collection sculptures and installations based on 
the things he's interested in. And that's, I think, what I gravitate towards. Um, I was reading some interviews with him not too long ago. He was saying, like, I primarily, I'm primarily the first member of my own audience. He says, my work is focused on things I love and things I'm interested in. And I'm like, well, I'm right there with you on that. Mm-hmm. I think I am the first member of my audience. I make this work for me. It's to satisfy my curiosity. It's to satisfy my love, which I think a lot of us do. And then he goes on to talk about this idea of the amateur, this idea that like when something is an amateur hobby or interest of yours, everything is new, everything is interesting, but that doesn't mean that it's new or interesting to the world. He uses, uh, I think if, if I remember in the, the quotes that I was reading, he use, he's using, I think, um, bird watching as mm-hmm. an example. And he's saying like, well, people get super excited about going and seeing this bird, documenting where they saw it and what they saw. And science already knows about that bird. Science can tell you everything about that bird. They can tell you its habitat. They can tell you what it eats. They can tell you its migration patterns. But to an amateur, there's still something new and exciting about experiencing that, even though all that information exists. And so when I'm reading these things, I was thinking like, you know, that's that's kind of how my relationship to film existed for so long. I would I would have never considered myself a professional. It was all just this sort of amateur interest in that. And and as a result of that, everything's exciting and new. Everything is something that you learn. Everything is something that you can you can sort of latch onto and and dive deeper into. And so I've started to use that as kind of a, a motivator to dive into some of the deeper aspects of the the things I'm watching. So I did a, an entire exhibition, I think about a year ago now, called Making Contact. And it was all work that was very loosely related to 2001 A Space Odyssey. And so 2001 A Space Odyssey, obviously very different in, in many respects to, you know, to something like Hook or Jurassic Park. But what I was interested in doing was sort of diving into, well, what are these other things in this film that now I can learn and I can dive into? So I started thinking about more about time travel and more about space exploration and, and even just about, you know, space materials. I was doing research on meteorites and, and research on sound and how sound is uh, collected from space. NASA released all these all these sounds from deep space. And it's like, well, how do you get that? How do you actually collect sound from deep space? And so then just going into these really kind of nerdy and scientific research aspects of things peripherally related to that thing that drew me in. And that all comes from just just this, you know, reading these quotes and, and thinking like, that's an interesting way to explore a subject. So that's one thing. On a simpler level, there's there's other things that I just read from time to twa- time or experience while watching a film, uh, you know, quotes that maybe jump out to me. Kiristami, I was watching, I was re-watching Certified Copy, again, totally different than, than the kind of pop culture work. Kiristami's Certified Copy, and there's a quote in there where she says something like, after we've seen so many copies of something over so many years, we're not experts who can stand before something that's original and, and understand it. And it takes our breath away. And and the point that she says, like, is like, without the, without the existence of copies, we wouldn't understand the originals because the existence of copies gives us a different kind of respect and knowledge about the original. And so a quote like that just jumps out to me as like, whoa, that's so close to these ideas that I'm thinking about, about remixing and reinterpreting the things that I love as a way of better understanding the original. 
So with regards to like, especially like the, the 2001 works, cause there's a lot of variations, you know, we mm-hmm. were talking a little bit about the space waves and, you know, thinking about NASA signals. Again, there's a really cool kind of really elongated video that kind of becomes this really abstracted thing, you know, versus, you know, superimposing monolithic structures. It's almost like in the same way that you might work from observation to kind of base a series of works on. It's like you have this artifact or this setup, and then it's like, how can I explore this in a different different way? You know, like I'm going to, I don't know, zoom in on the various surfaces of the uh, lunar surface or something and make a series of work about that that's loosely related to kind of really explore some, you know, small part of it, small aspect of it. Yeah, I don't know where the work goes oftentimes. I don't know exactly <laughs> what's going to happen with it. Um, I've always been kind of a an experimenter in that respect, always, um, even as far back as making those cut paper installations. It's like, well, I'm just going to start cutting stuff and, and using these source materials and we'll kind of see what happens. The experimentation is more so in like, well, how, what does it look like in the end or, or, what do, or what do I learn from it in the end? But there is always a starting point. And the starting point in those works was really just to to think about some singular aspects of, of the film or what it means or what it relates to, um, and then just start to explore, just start to dive into the research. I do a long phases of research before I make work. Sometimes it's, you know, like months of just reading stuff and taking notes and learning about something that I have no knowledge of before I'm like, okay, I think I know enough about that now to, to translate that into something. And so, you know, with, with the piece, it's origin and purpose, still a total mystery, um, it's like I, I knew I wanted to use the film and I knew I wanted to think about reflections and light. I was already thinking about reflections uh, with those those pieces that I made There's, that are sort of the isolating the reflections from helmets in the film. Mm-hmm. And so I was already thinking about reflection and thinking about light, but then also thinking about like the mystery of light, how light does really interesting things. And you can create visuals and, and also, you know, it's relationship to cinema. It's relationship to like the existence of cinema and the history of cinema. It's like, well, I know I want to use the film and I know I'm already making other references to the monolith structure and I know I'm interested in light. So, you know, what does that look like? And so it, then it's just a matter of experimenting. It's just uh, investigating materials. I was looking for, uh, you know, monolith shaped prisms and, you know, thinking about their properties and, and what they do when they refract and bend light. And then and then it's just a matter of experimenting until something happens that is like, whoa, that's that's kind of interesting visually. And I think that contains the references and ideas that I'm trying to to generate or think about in that process of doing that research. Another piece that I was going to say is interesting to me is this pillar piece. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I could try to maybe consider the context of it with some of the other pieces to kind of make it more identifiable. Obviously there's like a theme about this uh, exhibition, what's going on with it, but it kind of feels like, again, you're trying to almost create a sculpture that kind of distills some of the, you know, psychedelic kind of color schemes towards the end of the movie or kind of make your own, I guess, remnant or artifact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's exactly uh, the interpretation. So um, obviously there's, yeah, the reference to color, the process that they use to do that sort of, psychedelic scene towards the end is called slit scanning where you sort of take the film and and sort of run it through this process where it's sort of isolating parts of the film and scan rescanning them and creating that sort of bent warped time travel effect but yeah thinking about those colors thinking also just about the idea of uh materiality there's some strange materials sort of i was i was just looking at 
different different materials that exist um so you know dichroic film and how that how that reacts to light and and then there's the meteorites sort of under the soundproof dome underneath that and just thinking about like the origins of the origins of space the origins of these materials you know meteorites are fascinating they come from we like like how do these things arrive here and and what are they made out of and how are they discovered and how far have they traveled? And I think part of that idea is like sometimes the mystery, um, you know, even the monolith in the film, it's like part of what's been so engaging about that film for, you know, it's been around for like, we still talk about it and we still wonder what is meant exactly by that monolith. Is it, you know, is it this is it this creature? Is it this thing from somewhere else? And if it is, it's it's sort of so different than what we expect alien life forms to be. And so there's this mystery. And so part of it is also just like creating that sense of wonder, creating that that sense of the the artifact, the piece, the the singular visual thing that also contains that mystery. It also contains the like, well, what what exactly am I looking at here? While still containing those visual references to the materials, the space materials, the light reflections. And for me, it was just like, well, how do I create that? How do I create something that contains all these things that I'm thinking about and researching and reading and diving into in that that sort of research phase of the work. Well, and that meteorite piece is kind of interesting too because it utilizes like a sound to kind of be able to explain that process i guess a little bit of how that essentially drawing gets made and so those meteorite drawings those came from that that sound that i was talking about that nasa released nasa releases all this stuff public domain lots of images and lots of sound and anybody can use it and and i discovered it and i was like whoa i have to use that i have to find a way to make work on that because it's just interesting it's interesting how they did that how they collected those and and basically what it is is that they used um plasma wave vibrations in deep space and they figured out like well if we translate plasma wave vibrations into the sound range of what the human ear is capable of hearing i think it's 20 to 20,000 i don't i'm going to say it wrong but you know kilohertz or hertz or something like that mm-hmm. and if we translate these plasma wave vibrations that we've collected we can sort of replicate well what would what would jupiter sound like the storms on on jupiter or what would the rings of saturn sound like because obviously we can't hear it and so I have to find a way to use that. I have to find a way to, to this is super interesting and I'm, I'm really fascinated by that. And I had been having these ideas about working with meteorites for a while. And so then I had to go through that whole phase of like, well, how do you buy meteorites? Where do you get them? How do you know they're legit? Um, how do you find out where they came from? And, and that whole thing. And I finally got all of that together. I was like, okay, this makes complete sense. Now that I'm hearing these things and seeing these meteorites in the same place, I know exactly what I have to do. The meteorites have to make the work. That's that's just what it is. They're, they've traveled this far. They've somehow arrived on our planet. They have to be responsible for creating the work. And so I just I built a custom table out of a piece of plexiglass, and I hooked up transducers, speakers that sort of vibrate and uh, that travel certain sound waves. So some bass ones and some tweeters, and uh, to the underside of this table, hooked all that up to a stereo, paper down on the table with a, with a pile of a mix of charcoal dust and graphite dust and meteorite dust, set the meteorite into that pile and then let these, let these deep space sounds vibrate the table to the point where the meteorite travels around. 
um, and picks up the dust and sort of moves it around as it's as it's creating the piece. Yeah, again, it's it's just really interesting to think about all these kind of works kind of coexisting in, in the same space and, and how they would kind of feed each other. I'm curious if there's, a, I guess, something that you've been kind of working on in terms of either like a new subject or, you know, you mentioned earlier that you've got a show coming up. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that and maybe explore some of that or give us a preview, if you will. A, tra- a trailer. <laughs> <laughs> this exhibition's a little different. So this exhibition, there and there is some new elements to some of the work, um, but this exhibition is um, it's, it's a little bit of a throwback. It's a little bit of of a rerun, if you, if you will, um, of, of sort of re-exhibiting some old work in a new context and, and thinking about some of, some of that old work a little bit differently. So this is an exhibition that I'm having with a colleague, uh, Mike Hill, colleague and artist educator, and it's called Nostalgialicious. And, um, we're really just thinking about what that love for these subject matters what it is and, and what does it boil down to and, and how did we become the people that we are because of those things. His work, his work deals a lot with, you know, breakfast cereals and things like that and sort of cartoons and that kind of iconic imagery and those iconic childhood experiences for him. I'm going back and showing some, some older work as well. I think I'm showing the, the self-portrait where I injected myself into the Back to the Future Part 2 trailer and some of those sort of celebrity portraits that I worked on and then some new work that are sort of reinterpreted versions of, of some of those pieces. And some of those reinterpretations are diving into a little bit more into stuff I'm currently thinking about. I, I think about so many things that it's hard for me to narrow it down to one <laughs> particular focus. Um, but for example, one of the pieces that I'm showing is this, uh, a, a reworking of this installation that I created called ambient, which is based on the ambient light reflected from, some of my favorite films. And so instead of installing it as a, an installation, I've now captured the light. So it's a, it's a recording of the light rather than a live installation. This one's actually going to be the ambient light from Back to the Future Part 1. But what I've done, done then is I've taken subtitles and put them into the ambient light from that film. And all of the subtitles are coming from other films or other books or other poems of just the kinds of things I'm researching and the things I'm reading and their relationship to this idea of nostalgia and of childhood memory. So I've got some quotes from Woody Allen's Purple Rose of Cairo and some quotes from some Tarkovsky writing and some Tarkovsky films, Cinema Paradiso, The Odyssey, Unbearable Lightness of Being, and just pulling these these kind of quotes that are things that have jumped out to me as how they relate to nostalgia and how they relate to feelings and how they change us, how they how they either turn us into something as time goes on or how they affect us mentally. And some of them are dealing with it in a positive way, sort of the love of nostalgia. Others, others of them are dealing with the sort of reality of nostalgia, and which I think, you know, without getting too far into that, I think nostalgia itself has always been a really interesting concept to me. If we, you know, if you actually look up the definition to it, right, it talks about this idea of like, it's the pleasure and pain associated with the sort of memory or realization of, of something that you can't experience in that same way ever again. And so, you know, it's, it's such a complex way to think about it's, it's not just the love, it's not just the love of these things, but it's also this this harsh reality of like i can never i can never experience those initial feelings or those initial reactions to things 
in the same way ever again, unless, of course, we discover ways to, you know, wipe selective memories, have you, you know, re-experience something again. And, and then, and then, of course, the question will be, well, do you really want to do that? Do you really want to erase your first memory of seeing Jurassic Park in the theater just so that you could experience those feelings again? Or do you just hold on to that experience for what it is and love it for that nostalgia, the positive, pleasurable aspects and the sort of pain of not being able to recapture that or feel that again. Um, and so just dealing with things on a much more, much more intellectual and much deeper level is sort of where some of that work's going. So it's creeping into even some of this work that I'm sort of re-exhibiting and re-showing. Well, I think, again, that's so interesting to me is that it's it's a universal thing to kind of think about nostalgia. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we can tie that into to movies, TV, or other pop culture things. But, you know, we tie it into everything. I'm curious if that performance aspect is still something that you're exploring, or is that something that, again, as you kind of think about yourself and your process, you know, it'll find its way back into maybe other work or you might revisit just like you're doing and showing some of these uh, older pieces or kind of reformating them, reformating, reformatting them. <laughs> um, you know, is that something that kind of then, you know, just suits whatever the new work is that you're going to change the process to kind of keep exploring something, um, but maybe in a different way? Yeah. I mean, you know, part of it is that I consider myself wholly interdisciplinary um, multimedia. I, I don't consider myself a painter or a sculptor by any means. Um, I kind of use whatever's necessary to make the work in the way that it needs to be. And if that means I have to learn about audio or about something that I don't know, then I learn it so that I can make the work have the qualities that I want it to have. With that said, I think, I think performance is inevitable for me. I think I, I have to revisit it. I have to go back to it. It's been too long. <laughs> I was I was actually just thinking about this and I'm like, oh man. And sometimes it's it's that I'm confronting myself with that reality too. And I was just thinking like, oh man, it's it's time. It really is time that performance has to come back into this work. I've been doing that research and the building of things for a while now and these deeper dives into those subject matters. I think the next logical thing is to again kind of interesting. You're making me think of something right now. I'm becoming nostalgic for my own work, right? <laughs> I'm becoming I'm becoming nostalgic for those memories of doing the performative work. And I'm realizing like it's not done. It it never was done. It was just on pause. It was just on hold and it has to come back. It it's such a part of of who I am first of all, but it's such a part of the relationship to the work. It it has to come back. It just has to. And so I think if I were to make a guess, I would say that there will be some more performative work coming in this next batch of whatever, wherever my journeys take me. I think I'm also still still interested in working a little bit more with audio. I think there's some more explorations I'd like to do with audio. And I think there's some more explorations that I want to do with with actual video as well. Not, you know, taking stills or screenshots, but sort of working with video itself as a medium. So if I were to make a guess, that's where I'd be headed next is to do some more audio, some more video and some more performance work. 
you know, these experiences aren't necessarily that we're nostalgic for or things that we're nostalgic for aren't necessarily things that can't be replaced. And so I'm kind of curious if that's something that there's an intended meaning um, that you want people to leave with, or is it something that you're kind of more interested in just leaving some kind of openness in terms of what they leave with? I've never, I don't know that I've ever been able to force someone to interpret my work in exactly the way that I want. It's something that I, I, you know, again, thinking back to even like grad school, it's something that I struggled with a lot. Sometimes people would look at the work and they would, uh, they would read it as comedy. And that's not to say that comedy is not there. I mean, when, when somebody's, you know, injecting themselves into the back to the future two trailer or, <laughs> or replacing their, you know, replacing my wife in vacation photos with celebrities, <laughs> there is a humorous aspect aspect to that. And I can't deny that sometimes people would get stuck on that. They would, they would really just sort of look at them and be like, well, the, are these about, you know, are they meant to be commentary on that sort of obsessive idea of, of how we obsess over celebrities and fame and things like that? Or, you know, are they meant to just give me a chuckle and, and then sort of walk away? And for me, there's always been something deeper. There's always another level to the work that I, I want people to get to. I think a part of, a part of what works for me and that this is, this actually ties it into performance. I feel like people, understand my work a lot more. And this is probably true of every, I'm, I don't think I'm making any, you know, profound observations here, but it's something I'm, I'm really interested in. I feel like my work makes a lot more sense when, when somebody can see how enthusiastic I get for the subject matter, whether that just be like talking to somebody about the films or, or whether that be explaining the concepts and the research. I get really jazzed about that. I get really excited about that. When, when students want to talk to me, you know, if I, if I'm showing my work in a, in a lecture or something and people want to talk to me about, about Jurassic Park or Back to the Future or, or Star Wars or whatever it is, and I can sort of share my enthusiasm and then sort of let them into those secrets about like, oh, but it, it, it's so much more than that too. Like it's this love for it, but there's all these other things that I hold so dear about them. When people hear that, I think then they start to understand that more and they start to, to search for that more. So that performative aspect of my work being that, you know, sometimes I just really like to talk about it mm-hmm. and I just really, I just really like to share that. Uh, but I think that's what helps people sometimes arrive at those, those other meanings in terms of just letting people have their own experiences. That's always fun because I love to chat with people about, well, how did you connect to the work? What did you think about? And I've heard so many interesting stories. I mean, I've, I've had people come up to me and they just, they want to talk about geology um, because they're just really interested in meteorites and why I selected those meteorites and what they mean. And I'm like, that's cool. If that's, if that's how you like approach the work, like I want to, it's not so much that I want to have that conversation. I I more so want to ask you, I like, I, now I'm, now you've got me interested. Now I want to know like, well, why did you, why did you think that was something so significant? Like, what do you love about, what do you love about re- meteorites? Well, what drew you to that? It just becomes something that I want to know. So I'm, I'm totally fine with letting people have those experiences on their own as well. And one thing that I think is really interesting too, is that, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a big push to kind of be, you know, make this a social media based kind of thing or a YouTube based thing. It has to kind of take place in reality where you can actually have a real interaction as opposed to um, something that's online or, you know, again, there's a 
ridiculousness, um, you know, to actually printing postcards of you with celebrities as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, just digitally putting them on a, you know, an Instagram account, you know, or something like that. Yeah. So, again, there's that aspect of it that's really kind of interesting. But I, of course, I'm curious when, again, some of that aspect might, you know, become something that winds up being explored or, again, there's just a lot of possibilities, I think, when I see see that idea of nostalgia being explored and, you know, such accessible formats or different formats too. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's an interesting thought. Um, I I I have not really, and I don't know how I feel about it. That would take a lot of processing for me to think about. Like, well, what what would these be like if they existed in in those other formats? Or do I even do I want that? And what does that mean? And how does that relate to the work? There's a lot of artists. I mean, you can go on Instagram and you can you can find Instagram accounts that are specifically you know, people injecting themselves into celebrity photos and they do exist in that format. Part of what I, part of what what I love about these existing as art is that it allows for, I mean, I hope, I hope it allows for those other explorations. I mean, when you're looking at that vacationing with series, it's, it's not just the fact that I injected a celebrity into a vacation photo, but it's the fact that there's a stack of 500 of them and they're all signed by me. Um, (laughs) And and so like that that aspect of the work can't exist in on Instagram or you know those video works they're not going to do the same thing on YouTube although I put them on YouTube because I I you know I want to share them but they don't exist in the same way they don't they don't have the the feeling of you know either being a projection where we're thinking about light or being or being played on a CRT monitor a CRT television in the gallery and that that conscious choice to make that decision about the way it's displayed it loses all of that and i don't know i don't know how i how i feel about but that's an interesting thought to to think about for sure um because there's all kinds of other peripheral relationships to that as well in terms of how we consume media and how we relate to media in today's world i don't i don't know if that would be an interesting aspect to explore but definitely providing me some thoughts now yeah, yeah. Well, again, as as we're getting close to wrapping up, please just kind of remind us the the details about this exhibition so that, you know, people can check it out if they're especially in the area. Yeah, so our exhibition is called Nostalgialicious. It's myself and Michael Hill opening March 9th. We just installed yesterday, March 9th to April 23rd at the Pierce College Fort Stillicum Fine Arts Gallery. We'll be doing an artist lecture, an in-gallery artist lecture as well on April 23rd on the uh, before the closing reception. So from 11 to noon, we'll be doing an in-gallery lecture. And obviously, you know, people can go to check out your work at scotteigner.com. Where else can they find you? Are you on Instagram, I'm assuming? And I am on Instagram. Um, if you're if you're okay with seeing all kinds of stuff that is not my artwork, <laughs> um, my my Instagram is not specifically curated to my artwork. I, I I mean I do post my artwork, but I I also post videos of my my kids and our vacations and all kinds of other fun things on there. So if you don't mind that, by all means, yes, track me down on Instagram for sure. Uh, but my website is is probably the best place if you're looking for just the artwork side of things. Excellent. Well, again, I, I really appreciate talking to you again. I could keep going on about um, pop culture and, and, you know, especially the, the way that it fits into your work, but I appreciate you talking to me this morning. Yeah. Thank you very much. That was uh, an incredible experience to, to just be able to, have the time to talk about that with you. And I really, I really appreciate you getting in contact with me and, and having the time to, to do that. Um, I should also say as another, just little shout out thing, my work with the Crested Butte Film Festival, 
come visit us, submit your films to us. Like I, I love that. I, I mean, I just, I just want to watch films all day. So definitely like meet me there. Uh, come, come have a good time. We can, we can chat about film and we can chat about my work even more there. Um, and so we, we do that every, that's the last weekend of, of September, um, every year. So September, this year it's going to be uh, September 24th through the 27th in Crested Butte, Colorado. So that'd be another cool experience. And would people just contact you via the website? Yeah. I mean, you can submit films straight through the website. We've got all the links on uh, the website, cbfilmfest.org for submitting films. Um, I can be contacted specifically through there as well. Uh, film schedules will, will be up there, you know, at some point when we, when we program and all information about the festival itself and all that other cool stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, thanks for talking to me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, David. That was great. Thanks once again to Scott for joining me. Be sure and check out his website, scotteigner.com, and also follow him on Instagram. Once again, his exhibition that's up right now with Mike Hill is entitled Nostalgialicious at the Pierce College Fine Arts Gallery. That exhibition will be extended, so be sure and check announcements uh, in the future when everything clears up and we're able to go visit exhibitions again. Speaking of checking things out, why not go to studiobreak.com and look at some of the artists that you've recently missed out on. Again, we've got a big archive. Each of our posts have images of the artist's artwork and links to their websites. Again, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, so it's a great way to stay up to date. And, of course, if you know any artists that are climbing the walls in quarantine land, again, maybe share this podcast and give them something to listen to. It's always great for thinking about your own work or even just reflecting on it, so be sure and help spread the word. And if there's a particular episode of the podcast that you enjoy, please let me know. Again, I love hearing from listeners, and especially right now, it's great uh, to help support artists that are, you know, in this situation where they've got an exhibition and unfortunately we can't access it. As I was saying earlier, you can find Studio Break on Facebook, so please like our page there. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break and, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. I'd like to thank Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his work at SkylarMail.net. If you'd like to see some of my paintings, which also, oddly enough, explore nostalgia, you can check them out at DavidLinaway.com. There's plenty of them up there. You can also find me on Facebook, on Twitter, at DavidLinaway, and, of course, on Instagram at DavidLinaway. So be sure and follow me and say hello. And with that, we are done with today's episode. Hope that you enjoyed it. Let me know. We'll talk to you real soon.